Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome to this week's Saturday Blitz Podcast, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki, here as always with John Mitchell. We're going to be talking about Big Ten football returning this week, some interesting stories that developed over the weekend and after in that conference, and then, as always, doing our picks. And uh, I have a little surprise for our tailgating section. I, I just, uh, I think it'll be a fun question to bring up. I haven't sprung that on John yet, but I like doing this to him when we hit the record button, so... How are you doing this week, John? On that note, now that you know a surprise is in wait for the second segment, how are you doing? Well, now I'm a little anxious, to be honest with you, waiting to see what that's going to be. But definitely not the first time you've done that. So uh, looking forward to it, actually. But uh, happy to be back here uh, with you once again. Yeah, definitely. And I know... uh, I'm the one here in Big Ten country, but you had just as much of a fascination as I did with, you know, the conference returning, what it all means for college football, what some of the protocols they've put into place could, you know, potentially mean down the road. So I honestly, I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to warn everybody this week I've been working on a couple of big projects and kind of nailing them down, so... I'm a little brain dead as we record. If I start talking in tongues or something, John will, you know, reach out and smack me and get me back in line. But I'm going to let him take the driver's seat this week for this segment because, well, I, I just explained why. So, take it away, John. Yeah, you know, obviously this week was the return of Big Ten football, week one in the Big Ten um, week eight overall for college football. So we saw a couple of we saw a couple of kind of storylines emerge in week one. Obviously, you know, Ohio State looked as advertised. The Buckeyes rolled over Nebraska. No surprise there. But there were a couple upsets this week in the Big Ten that I thought were really interesting. You know, Indiana won on a pretty controversial two point conversion to beat Penn State in overtime. I know that was a pretty shocking result. Uh, for all of you at State College, uh, Zach. And then, you know, obviously Purdue stunned Iowa, uh, despite, you know, their head coach missing the game due to COVID-19. And then perhaps the biggest surprise of all was Rutgers won a Big Ten game for the first time since 2017, I believe it is. So the Greg Schiano era 2.0 in Piscataway off to a fantastic start. I mean, that's some equity he's bought himself already for that, for the Scarlet Knights program, even if they lose the remainder of their games. So of those results, Zach, I guess, real quick, um, what surprised you the most? You know, I I hate to say it being here in State College, but I wasn't necessarily surprised that Penn State could fall to Indiana. Um, obviously, the circumstances in which it all transpired were really interesting, uh, especially because, you know, I went outside right as they were finally starting to come back there in the fourth quarter and took a lead, and you heard just cheering all up, down the block, and, and all around. And so it's always, you know, I mean, it shows the power that football has in the community. 
you know, just to kind of create these common narratives that are happening even as people are in these little pods in their own houses rather than, you know, over at Beaver Stadium or, you know, cheering, you know, together. But then, you you know, you saw it kind of turn and it was, you know, you kind of heard like a collective groan as well. But I honestly wasn't necessarily surprised by that. I think, you know... I guess it had to be Rutgers, honestly. You know, just the fact that, you know, we saw Michigan State in transition. We saw everything. We talked about it earlier this year with the whole Mark D'Antonio situation and him walking away from the program right after, you know, took the money and run. And, you know, their issues trying to get Luke Fickle and then, you know, how everything transpired with that whole coaching situation. I think we didn't necessarily give enough credence to just how in the tank Michigan State might be, and that still might be the case. Um, So, you know, here I am maybe taking the shine a bit off of Rutgers' win, but Rutgers won, you know. As you said, it's been two-plus years since they last won a Big Ten game, and frankly, the way that program has felt the past couple of years, I'm surprised it was that recently. So, yeah, I, I think that definitely has to be the most surprising of those results because, you know, I, I'd have to go back to my notes from the Big Ten preview when we did that and that obviously happened before we got to this returned schedule but I think even then I don't I don't think I had Rutgers pegged for winning a conference game so cheers to them like it, obviously it's still a rebuilding effort there in New Jersey but that's a promising early return especially for two teams that are both dealing with transitions in their coaching staffs yeah, you know, I was right there with you with um, Indiana not being that big of a surprise. I think Indiana's just a really good football team nowadays. They've, Tom Allen's really built that program up. They're a really quality side. Michael Penix is obviously a hell of a football player, a quarterback for them. And, you know, I think that win says more about Indiana positively than it says about Penn State negatively. But, yeah, the big, the big story is Rutgers winning a game. I mean, just... That's you got to feel good for that fan base. They've been, you know, obviously wandering the wilderness for several years. Going to the Big Ten hasn't, you know, been good for them football wise, at least on as a result standpoint. Um, but you know, I think one thing we forget is that Greg Schiano had a lot of success at Rutgers in his first go around. I think it's unrealistic still to expect him to replicate that success in his second stint there. But also, I don't think anyone expected them to be 1-0 at any point. So, um, just an incredible win, forcing seven turnovers. I, I'm also afraid, though, that that result says more about Michigan State than it does about Rutgers. So, um, I don't know. But definitely some interesting early returns in the Big Ten. Um, you know, one of the big stories from Week 1 as well was the emergence of Graham Mertz at quarterback for your Wisconsin Badgers. Obviously, him getting the opportunity with Jack Cohn out with an injury. And Mertz is a guy we talked about a lot last year, a really hyped quarterback prospect for Wisconsin. You know, when you think of the Badgers, you normally think about 
running backs and offensive linemen, but this is one of the more hyped quarterbacks I believe the Badgers have had uh, since I've really been following college football, Zach. Um, and he had a flawless performance for Wisconsin in the in the season open went over Illinois to, you know, get Wisconsin some revenge from last year's kind of heartbreaking loss to the Illini. But now Graham Mertz, after that one sizzling start, is tested positive for COVID-19. The Big Ten's protocols in relation to positive tests are a lot more strict than we've seen from other conferences. He's now sidelined for 21 days, which would put him out for three straight weeks for Wisconsin. Um, Obviously, that's a huge loss for the Badgers. That would mean that he would miss games against Nebraska, Purdue, and then against Michigan. Um, That's a season-altering kind of thing for Wisconsin. Obviously, Jack Cohn's still injured. He won't be playing. It was also announced, um, or reported late Monday night, that Wisconsin's third-string quarterback also tested positive for COVID. So Wisconsin's down to what would be Whoever their fourth quarterback is, I'm not even going to pretend to know who that is. It, it might be you, for all I know, Zach, at this point, lining up under center for Wisconsin this weekend. So, uh, you know, seeing that, it just kind of, again, raised the question that we've talked about before with the Big Ten. There's just no margin for error on this conference schedule for the Big Ten this year. And it just seems like only a matter of time before a game gets outright canceled. What do you think of the effect of a guy like, you know, Graham Mertz or any other player in the Big Ten? Do you agree with the 21-day protocol, first of all? And then second of all, do you think there's any way this schedule is going to be played fully? I fully agree with the idea of having a 21-day protocol like this. If your entire justification for coming back after you first justified shutting down the season is that you have the most possible string you know the most stringent protocols in place possible if if that's your your justification for coming back and, and you're not just admitting it's about the money you have to have these policies in place i mean we've seen conferences you know, take different tacks to this. But I, I, I think it's smart. And obviously, you know, they do the rapid antigen testing. They're, you know, that that just, ra- you know, they get the returns in like 15 minutes. And so, you know, there's always the risk of a false positive. Yes, they're doing additional testing. I, I, I have not heard yet the results of that as of recording. But... I know, like, 11 hours ago, they still weren't reporting on it with the team. But as of now, the way I understand it, he's sitting 21 days. I, honestly, I don't think even, you know, going through all this rigmarole of test and test and test again and try to keep doing it until you get a negative, you can have a false negative in that situation, too. Like, why are you going to disregard... 11 positives and then suddenly think you're going to get a negative you you know what what if we're thinking long-term risks if we're thinking ancillary risks with everybody else that's involved with the production that is college football and let's face it, it you know what this season is really showing me is that this is spectacle and it's spectacle that we're putting on 
that has winners and losers, it has the advantaged and the disadvantaged, it has the users and the used, and we're on the user's side talking, even just talking about this game, you know, I've, I'm, I'm still hesitant to sit down and watch a full game, um, it, it feels like my season has been played in, you know, 10 second highlights, one, one tweet after the next, because, you know, it, it, my wife's uncomfortable watching it, so I'm not just gonna, like, slap it on the giant TV, and, you know, frankly, going, college football isn't as fun when you're just going down in your, you know, office and watching it on a small TV down there and, and you know, not really having the interactions that make football football. If they were going to do it at all, I'm glad they're doing it as safely as they ostensibly can. And I wonder why the hell we're doing this at all still. That blurb out of the way, I promised you last week, everybody, that I'd throw that out there pretty much every week, and so you got it again. There's your little Easter egg. Um, but, you know, your second question is to, you know, what's the impact of this? I think losing a guy like Graham Mertz, this kind of revelatory player that that changes your offense, especially at a time when it's in transition and you don't have a singular player like you know, Jonathan Taylor in your right. backfield, you know, losing somebody who, who proved that dynamic for your passing game is all, it, it, certainly not a good thing. I, I think especially since you've pretty much lost your entire depth chart in that regard, it's not a good thing. You know, this is quickly devolving into Maryland territory when we saw that happen there a couple of years ago yeah. when you know, everybody and their mom was falling at quarterback for them. And, you know, I think that's, it, uh, that obviously has impacts for the Badgers, but I think you're right. At a certain point, you know, you know, we've seen conferences have these policies where if, you know, there are certain essential positions where if you don't have enough bodies to fill them, you know, offensive line and whatnot, you're, you're, they, they postpone the game. In, in the Big Ten's cases, we've talked about with the way their final, you know, their championship weekend is structured, you have no room for can't, or for postponing games here. So anything that gets stricken from the record is automatically canceled here. Not every Big Ten team is going to play, what is it, eight games this season? They're, they're not going to play eight games. I'd be shocked if more than two of them play all eight games. I don't, you know, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen for anybody, frankly, in that conference. It's, it's just logistically, because, you know, with a 21-day window, you imagine, you know, you get down to only four offensive linemen because it goes through your entire, you know, it, it, it wipes out a portion of your roster. We saw at times LSU and Clemson had 30-plus players at a time who were, you know, tested positive, who were infected. And at, at that point, you have to shut down one game, but if it's a 21-game window, which, again, is a smart thing to do, it, it, wipe, it, it goes from being eight games to five games. And, you know, because if you're, you're postponing one game because of this, 
you know, it's not like you're suddenly going to have players be able to be staggered in. The 21 days is the 21 days. And I think honoring that window is, is a smart thing to do. You know, Paul Christ has already come out and said he, he totally respects those that that's in place. And I, I agree with him, you know. This is just the reality of what teams are going to have to deal with. And in other conferences, you know, I honestly think it's very cavalier for somebody, you know, like Ed Orgeron to come out and say, you know, pretty much everybody on our roster has had this at one point or another. Yeah. Especially when we don't know what, you know, sorts of immunities or resistances you develop against it, you know. Getting it once doesn't mean you're done with it forever. We don't know that yet. So ultimately, 21 days makes sense to me. Let's keep everyone as safe as possible. And we're not going to see a full season from the Big Ten. It's just, they didn't set themselves up in a way that allows them to do that. It, 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 you know, I mean, the Mountain West came back as well last week, and they automatically had a game canceled already. What was it? It was Colorado State and I think New Mexico that canceled. And so... You know, it, it's just the way it's going to be. What does that do for the big picture? That's, you know, really the next big question I think we have to ask. And, you know, the college football playoff selection committee, they're already playing with, you know, a magic eight ball and a dartboard of options. So... You know, it, it's been that way every year. It, it As we talked about in the past it it very much is an act of retroactive justification when you're you know behind closed doors like that making decisions so they're going to make the decisions they make i think you know if ohio state is able to get in six or more games they're you know and they win them all they'll give a team like that the benefit of the doubt they win seven right. including the championship game i i think they're in there's really no question about it. We saw that pollsters vaulted them right back up to number three in the country as soon as, you know, the last ten remaining holdouts who were keeping them off their ballots till they saw them play a game were finally like, okay, yeah, Ohio State is exactly who we thought Ohio State was and, and bumped them up into their top three. So that's, you know, some teams are going to get more of the benefit of the doubt than others, but... Wisconsin, you know, really, I think in a lot of ways looked like, you know, either 2A or 2B. I think they were the top team really uh, coming out of this weekend in the West, the way they looked. And with Mertz out and their quarterback situation rapidly devolving into a shop of horrors, we really don't, you know, that could seriously just turn that into a clown show in that, you know, we could see a three-loss West champion coming out if, the, you know, the way that plays out. Or, you know, Wisconsin ends up going 5-0, and but they do it without a game against Michigan. You know, what happens along the way? We, But we've seen the situation get bad in Madison before. It's not like the, the coronavirus situation is suddenly under control just because football started here in center county it's been going 
you know, I mean, this is one of the hotspots, not just in Pennsylvania, but the entire country at this point in terms of its rate of transmission. And, you know, I, I've seen it on campus. I've seen it in the classes where I work. You know, I, it's, in, it's affecting real people. And, you know, in the end, it, it's going to affect football sooner or later. It has pretty much everywhere else. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with the Ohio State assertion. Like, if they're the team in the Big Ten that can afford to lose three games and still have a playoff shot, I don't think that's the case to really anybody else. Um, and then if the Big Ten had the hopes of potentially getting a second team in the playoff, I think it's kind of dashed if you lose a couple of those games. And, yeah, I mean, Wisconsin, too, when you get back to that with Graham Mertz, um, obviously you got to – the Big Ten's not going to – change up their protocols because of this. you got to kind of stick to your guns in the situation. I agree with you. I think they're doing the right thing. Uh, but, man, this is like the one thing Wisconsin has been missing really since Russell Wilson came through Madison was a really good quarterback. That's the one thing that's really kept them from getting over that Ohio State pump and winning a Big Ten title and potentially vaulting into the playoffs. So it's kind of crushing, I know, uh, for Badgers fans like yourself to, to see – that one game where he looks as good as advertised, a guy that was as ballyhooed as any Wisconsin quarterback's been for a long time, and then to have that kind of taken away uh, for three weeks. But, you know, bright future ahead for Mertz, obviously. Obviously, we hope that he recovers quickly from COVID um, and continues playing like we saw this past weekend because he looked tremendous. And uh, I think he's got certainly the potential to do a really good job there. So Scott Tolzien or Joel Stave have any eligibility left? Can they suit up this weekend against Nebraska, Zach? Uh, yeah, you know, it's unfortunately Wisconsin always seems like a place where quarterbacks exhaust their eligibility. So, uh, yeah, I don't think there's anybody waiting in the wings <laughs> able to come back in. But And, you know, I... It, it, it's funny that, you know, I mean, in a season where hope is at once something that's, you know, sort of eternal for fans, just the fact that they get to see football. But then also when you see teams have those bright, shining moments and, you know, you wonder whether or not you'll be able to reclaim it. It's always a bummer. You know, I look at somebody like Mertz, though, and you imagine he's going to be there at least a couple more years in Madison. And if he can, if they can figure out their running game again, because honestly, that didn't look great against Illinois. You know, it's one of those things where for as good as Wisconsin looked, you can pick apart some things. You know, it was Brandon Peters of Illinois that led all rushers, and he had 75 yards on the ground. That's not how it normally goes when you're playing Wisconsin. Your guy in the backfield isn't normally the leading rusher. It, you know, that's just been, you know, from, from Taylor, you think of guys like Melvin Gordon in the past, P.J. Hill. You have a long line of of history-making backs that have been there, you know, dating back even well before Ron Dane. And not having that felt really weird even in this win. So 
on one hand, if they can finally, you know, if they can get figured that back out in the next few weeks, well, they have zero quarterbacks. That'd be a good thing because once the quarterback comes back into that, you know, equation, they could be unstoppable, especially next year when, if and when things get back to a more normal situation. So, yeah, I mean, the good news, I guess, is you have no choice but to try and get the running game going in these next couple of weeks because what else are you going to do? Um, at this point, so it'll be interesting to see kind of the game plan against Nebraska this weekend, and we'll talk about that game uh, coming up next. Zach, anything else you wanted to add about any of this? No, honestly, I think that's a really great place for us to sort of leave off and tease into our picks coming up in the next segment because we'll definitely be talking more about the Badgers, you know, looking ahead to that Cornhuskers matchup in Lincoln. Um, so, you know, if you're doing well, let's take ourselves a quick break. We'll be uh, right back after this, everybody. So stretch out those legs, grab yourself a cold one, and I'll be back with a nice little surprise. Stay tuned. Welcome back from the break to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We just finished up talking about the Big Ten's return uh, and how the rest of their season very well might play out. But, you know, before we get into picks this week, it's Halloween on Saturday. All this football is taking place in the shadow of, you know, the light of jack-o'-lanterns and everything else, so... I, I, you know, I was just sitting here, um, you know, we bought a ton of candy, a couple of giant bags of candy, despite the fact that we had zero trick-or-treaters last year, um, and I imagine that's going to be, you know, cut in half of zero this year with COVID, you know, concerning communities all across the country, so I, I, I have a feeling I'm going to be eating a lot of, you know, candy, and, you know... I love, oh, poor guy. Poor guy, right? I love candy. I, I, I'm a sweet tooth. I'm a sugar hound. Um, but, you know, we have some candy that we like better than others. So I want to throw this out to you, John. First of all, I've got to ask you, are you more of a chocolate guy? Or are you more of a free candy guy? Like, what's your gig when you get down to Halloween candies? Definitely chocolate. Definitely a chocolate guy. So if I had to ask you, what were your top three chocolates that you could you could find in a, you know if you're digging through that halloween pumpkin you know the the nice little pumpkin candy basket and, and sifting things out what are what are you happiest to pull out of that the three happiest things yeah so number one to me is the the goat is always reese's cups like that's always been the top and it doesn't have to be the cups you know it can be the the halloween pumpkins it can be the reese's eggs i don't care if it's if it's reese's Peanut butter, I'm all in. So that's always been number one for me. Um, I love that. Number two would be Twix. I love mm. a I love a good Twix bar. 
um, the left or right Twix, you know, whatever the propaganda they want to throw out on those commercials. I don't care. I don't discriminate on either of those. So, and then third is really any of the either regular M and M's or even peanut M and M's. I'm a big fan of both of those. So I would say that's kind of tied for number three in terms of you're looking at Halloween chocolate candies. Uh, those are definitely my favorites. What about you? You know, I, I'm honestly always more of like a, a fruity and sour candy kind of guy. Like, if, if I have to go chocolate, and boo-hoo if I have to go chocolate, right? Um, I noticed you didn't mention anything that has nuts in it. So, I mean, that leaves for me, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Snickers, Baby Ruth, all those sorts of, of candy bars, I, you know. I, I like I said peanut M&M's. You did say peanut M&M's. I'm sorry. You are absolutely right there. Um, frankly, my favorite M&M's are the pretzel M&M's. So if I, you know, those are the ones I really love to pull out. But I'm with you. Yeah. I, like I said, I like sweets. You know, I preface this all with the fact that I like sweets. So pretty much anything you give me, as long as it doesn't have, like, coconut in it. I'm not a fan of things with coconut in them. Uh, but otherwise, he can pretty much make me happy with pretty much anything else I might pull out of the, the Halloween basket. But, you know, my favorite things are like Sour Patch Kids. I love, uh, you know, those sorts of like gummy candies. I remember as a kid, I always liked getting dots. You'd always get those boxes. Oh, yeah. You'd get those boxes of dots. And it's like, it's not anything I would ever go buy a giant box of dots off the shelf. But if you're reaching in and you pull out one of those little ones, you know, you're like, I'll bite one, I'll bite two. Like, I, I feel the third one and I'm like, okay, my dentist is going to love me this year again. But I'm going to eat the fourth and fifth one that's in the box as well. It's, it, yeah, it, if they're it, there, they're getting eaten. Exactly. So, yeah, but yeah, I mean, like, Sour Patch Kids are my kind of thing. Um, my wife just got sweet, uh, what is it, Skittles and Starburst. Honestly, I'm going to be honest, here's my hot take. Skittles have gotten a lot worse since they changed the green Skittles from lime to green apple. Let's, That's just facts. Let, let's stop. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I love green apple candies, but not enough candy is lime. The lime that, Skittle is the goat. That's a great Skittle. And the fact that they continue changing more and more of these lime candies to green apple, it, it, it enrages me because I'm a huge lime candy fan. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's the kind of thing I tend to gravitate toward, though. Love, like, uh, sweet tarts. Yeah, I don't even like green apple anything. Like, so it's... That's especially enraging then. Like, if I know I'm going to get green apple, I'm like, okay, that's cool. But, like, if I have the choice between red apple and green apple jolly, yeah. or, uh, jelly belly jelly beans, I'm going red apple first, you know? So, uh, yeah, that's how I feel about that. But, so, yeah, I have some opinions about candy. I guess that's why I wanted to throw this out there. I have opinions, everybody, about candy. Uh, but I love it all. So, you know, I, I guess the one thing I want to preface our picks with is if, if you are going out there with your kids to trick-or-treat this year um, on whatever schedule your communities are allowing, please be safe. 
I mean, when I went trick-or-treating as a kid in Wyoming, it usually meant we were tracing through a foot of snow already. And, like, as much as we hated it as kids, we'd, we'd throw our winter coats on over our awesome costumes to the point where nobody really saw the costumes and the only thing that really mattered was the mask. And you know what? Now you have an excuse to wear a mask. So rock on, kids. Rock on with the best possible masks that you can. Yeah. Hey, before we go to pick, Zach, one quick question. Yeah. Can Candy corn, yes or no? I'll eat it if it's the last thing there. Honestly, it's not my favorite thing in the world. Um, and it's not so much, the, like, for a lot of people, it's the texture that puts them off. For me, I'm just not a big fan of the flavor. Like, my wife ended up finding these, oh, I don't know if it was Trolley or one of those companies that make gummy candies. She ended up finding, like, sour candy corn. Those were freaking oh. awesome. I loved that. I've never even heard of those. And they had lime in them, so it was even better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like trolley, sour, bright candy corn or something like that. Um, highly recommend it if you can find it. But yeah, I like candy corn. A lot of people don't, so I'd be I'd I'd be all aboard trying something like that. Yeah, that was sweet. And yeah, I mean that's the thing is like. I like sugar, but the thing about candy corn to me is it tastes just like sugar to me. I don't get too much of, like, flavor to it, and I guess that's what's always been kind of off-putting to me. It's kind of the same as, like, wax lips and whatnot. I'm just like, um, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. You know, like, yeah, I... I I'm not going to turn it down. Like, if you hand me a, a bit of candy corn, I'm going to be like, oh, thank you. I, I, I have some sugar to put in my body, and I'll eat it happily. And um, But if there's other things, I'm probably going to pit those first. Fair enough. So, yeah, where do you want to start with picks this week, John? Yeah, so, you know, early on Saturday, the slate's a little bit there this week, but, you know, everybody, uh, we were all begging to be able to watch football um, months ago, so we can't, I guess, be too picky about it. So one of the early games, uh, a big game in the American Athletic Conference, Cincinnati fresh off just a dominating win over SMU this past week, hosts Memphis. Um, the Bearcats come in. Uh, as about, a, I believe, about a touchdown favorite. It's about six and a half is where the line was late Monday night. Can Cincinnati, Zach, do you think, avoid a letdown? Can their defense continue? That defense looks really good, straight up dominating, as you know, holding the Mustangs to just 13 points. Can that defense rise up again and hold down a really powerful Memphis offense, avoid a letdown, and remain in the driver's seat of the group of five race? You know, I think Cincinnati certainly can. Um, I saw a lot of things that really did impress me in that game. Desmond Ritter looked great in, in victory against SMU, uh, in addition to that defense, as you mentioned. Obviously, the Mustangs a little bit underpowered, uh, but even then still had more than enough talent on the field to hang with Cincinnati, but they just were throttled. So, you know, I think Cincinnati comes into this with a lot of motivation after losing twice to Memphis last year. They're basically in the situation with Memphis that Memphis was 
with UCF a couple of years ago where they were trying to get over that final hurdle into you know the top of the AAC and into position as the top group of five team Cincinnati at this point looks like a team on a mission honestly I thought SMU was probably the best situated team to do it with Memphis, if they had Kenneth Gainwell, I'd feel a lot better about this. But at this point, I think that six and a half points is more than enough for me to say that the Bearcats are going to cover. Like, I see this one. I, I don't think they're going to score quite as much as they did against SMU, but I could see this one being, you know, like a 28-13, 28-14 score. Yeah, uh, well, let's start off with a little bit of disagreement, I guess. I agree that Cincinnati will win this game, but I think six and a half is just a little bit too much um, for me in this one. I think Memphis, um, I think their offense can keep pace a little bit. I, I don't know that Cincinnati, um, I still have questions about Desmond Ritter and that Bearcats offense this year, so it'll be interesting. But I like Cincinnati in this one 30 to 24, so about a six-point difference. So I look at this game and I look at what Cincinnati has on defense and I look at Memphis on offense and I look at Brady White and I see this kind of game where he has like two touchdowns and four interceptions and, you know, like 400 passing yards, but it just kind of devolves, you know, late in drives for him on, on several big drives. So that's why I'm looking at the kind of score I am. But I like that we have disagreement to start with, so... Let's shift gears, you know. I, I think we're probably moving out of group of five country, John. So what what do you think is the next direction for us? Yeah, let's move over to, to Big Ten country. We kind of alluded to this game a little bit in the last segment. Wisconsin going on the road to face Nebraska, most likely without Graham Mertz unless something changes uh, pretty drastically. Um, this game... I don't know what the opening spread was. I didn't catch it, but I'm guessing Wisconsin was favored by quite a bit, and that's fallen down to about four and a half at this point. Probably going to get closer to more of a pick on by kickoff, if I had to guess. Do you think the Badgers can weather this storm and go into Lincoln and beat Nebraska with a fourth-string quarterback? Boy, that's really tough. Yeah, this game opened with Wisconsin favored by 10. And, yeah, I think when we first looked at this, as one that we might pick it was at seven and a half and now it's already down to four and a half this is just plummeting um and i think it's wise that it's plummeting i i don't think anybody wants to bet on the badgers at this point but it might be just the time to grab them honestly like we talked about in the last segment wisconsin isn't normally a team that depends on their quarterback to do a ton and frankly, if any team is built to pull, you know, to weather a Lynn Bowden type situation where they just have to throw whoever they can at quarterback and make it work, it's a team that's relied for, you know, most of the past three decades on its running game. And, you know, the concept that it's going to have bigger guys in the trenches than you do and more technically sound guys in the trenches than you do. So even though we saw, you know, sort of a committee approach and the lack of any one dominant back in the Wisconsin backfield, I think that they can weather that. 
you know, Nebraska put up a decent fight against Ohio State, at least through the first one and a half quarters, almost two quarters. But I, I think that Wisconsin's defense just has the, the firepower to clamp down and keep the Cornhuskers from really developing too much momentum on their home field. So I think this one's close, but, you know, it feels like one of those Big Ten kind of slobber knockers. Um, you know, at this point with Wisconsin at four and a half, I'd still probably be inclined to take Nebraska. You know, I see this like a 17-14 kind of game with Wisconsin winning it. But I think if that line does drop a couple more points before game time, that's going to shift and you take Wisconsin, you know, against the points. So what are your thoughts on that one, John? I'm, I'm curious to know. Yeah, I totally agree with you in that it's going to be one of these old-fashioned Big Ten low-scoring defensive slugfests. Anybody who's really been clamoring for that kind of football has got their – We'll get their money's worth, I think, this weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought Nebraska hung tight with Ohio State longer than most people expect, and I still think they're limited in the passing game with Adrian Martinez. But I just think there's too many unknowns right now for Wisconsin. Uh, who knows? Maybe this fourth-string quarterback will pull a, a Cardell Jones in the college football playoff a few years ago for Ohio State. I mean, he was the third-string quarterback. But, you know, maybe it'll be something like that. But, I, you know... I think there's a little too unknown. I agree with you that Wisconsin's defense will keep this game competitive. But I'm going to take Nebraska in the little mini upset. But I'm thinking like 14-13 Cornhuskers. I think it will come down to the absolute wire. Uh, Wisconsin's defense keeps it close, but Nebraska's got a little more firepower. Uh, obviously, you know, they'll sell out against the run and make that quarterback try to beat them. I just don't have faith that that's going to be able to happen. I think that's fair. I mean, I don't like it, but I think that's <laughs> fair. So, you know, I, I can't really complain. Uh, you know, let's stay in Big Ten country for our next pick, John, because um, this is a game that we thought was going to have huge implications, you know, well before the season started. You know, well before... I mean, this is a game that we thought was going to have big implications before the pandemic started, you know, when we thought that the schedule was going to look normal. I mean, hell, game day is coming to State College for some reason this weekend at this point. You know, that's definitely let the buyer beware, you know, before all your, you know, your information is in. But Buckeyes, Nittany Lions, game that, you know, it's the whiteout that wasn't here at Beaver Stadium. The Buckeyes come in, you know, I think when we previously looked at it, we're a 12.5-point favorite. Right now, they're sitting at 11.5. Open at 9.5. It's one that seems to be fluctuating a bit, but, you know, we'll look at it at 11.5 now just for the sake of picking something. So, you know, obviously Ohio State looked incredible Penn State looks like a team that's honestly green in a lot of places. You know, a little bit inexperienced, a little bit um, not always making the soundest of decisions. So, do you think Ohio State covers that 11.5 point spread? 
Yeah, I mean, this was the game, what we thought would be the game of the year in the Big Ten this year. So Penn State losing last week to Indiana really threw a damper in that. But I think you're going to see a Nittany Lions team that's really motivated and fired up. They know that they're still a good football team, and they're going to come out, I feel like, with something to prove against Ohio State. I don't think they can beat the Buckeyes. I think Ohio State at this point is clearly the better team. Um, this has come from somebody who was really high on Penn State in the preseason. I really liked this Penn State team. Uh, so I think Ohio State wins this game. I think Justin Fields is just too much. We saw how dynamic he still is, obviously, uh, last week against Nebraska. He'll make too many plays for Penn State to overcome. They just don't have that level of play at that position. But they're going to come out motivated. It wouldn't surprise me if they took an early lead. Uh, but I like Ohio State to eventually outpace them, like 38-28, something like that. It seems like a fair score. Honestly, I was thinking like 38-24. So, you know, I have them covering the spread. You seem to have it just on the opposite side of it. So a little bit of disagreement again. Um, That's three for three. That Oh, my goodness. It is three for three, everybody. Well, let's see if we can run the gamut there, you know, because that's always fun. So... We have two more games on our slate. We got one in Big 12 country. We got one in SEC country. Where do you want to head next, John? Let's talk about a couple of disappointing SEC teams real quick. I got something to get off my chest anyway. Uh, So we got LSU traveling down the plains to play Auburn. Uh, Both LSU and Auburn had aspirations of being competitive in the SEC West. Both teams have a couple of SEC losses. Both have been remarkably disappointing products on the field this year so far. Um, LSU, I think, should be a little less surprising considering all they lost. I think expectations were way too high for the Tigers with what they had lost and then with some of the opt-outs and stuff that they had. So, um, you know, I don't think it's too big of a surprise. Maybe the losses being to Mississippi State and Missouri are a little surprising, but this isn't a legitimate contending team. Now, Auburn, on the other hand, comes in 3-2 and two with three wins that are all a little bit fortunate thanks to officials. Um, and I, obviously, it feels like Auburn Jesus is really staring down and making judgments our way on in this season. And I, frankly, Zach, don't like it. So, yeah. you know, you look at the season opening one over Kentucky, the Wildcats had a touchdown taken off the board right before the half. That really could have changed the dynamic of that game. Auburn should have lost to Arkansas a couple of weeks ago on that uh, backwards pass um, spike that Bo Nix did at the end of that game. Should have been a fumble, should have been recovered by Arkansas. And then Lane Kiffin's already been fined $25,000 for his complaining about officiating uh, this past week where the Auburn return man had the ball touch his finger and should have been recovered for a touchdown in the end zone for the Rebels and instead was ruled a touchback in Auburn's favor, and they ultimately won the game. So this is an Auburn team, honestly, that probably should be 1-4. and four. And instead, they're coming in at three and two. They've had a ton of struggles offensively. Bo Nix has really, really struggled um, as the starting quarterback this year. They seem to have found something, I think, in in Tank Bigsby at running back. The freshman has been really outstanding for them. I think they played a little bit better defensively this past week. But the one thing we know about this LSU offense, at least, is they seem to have figured it out on how to score points, even with Miles Brennan potentially not playing. Freshman T.J. Finley had a really uh, strong game for LSU against the South Carolina team that, you know, just came off a win over Auburn the week before. So, Zach, 
LSU or Auburn, I think, is around a three-point favorite, getting the, the obligatory home three points um, in this game. Really feels more like a toss-up. But the winner of this game feels like they could build some momentum to a strong finish, while the loser of this game is probably going to sink toward the bottom of the SEC West standings. So who do you think does it? I I like LSU, actually, to go into Tiger State or go into Jordan-Hare Stadium and pull off the upset, honestly. I, I think LSU's offense, like I said, has figured some stuff out. I don't think Auburn has the downfield passing game to really take advantage of LSU's shortcomings in the secondary. So I like LSU 27-24 to beat Auburn. You know, this might be the first place where we have some agreement, and it, I, I think in a lot of ways it, 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 it comes down to the fact that you know, we knew LSU wasn't quite going to be who we thought they were last year. That just, that's not possible. When you have a record-setting national championship winning campaign, you can't automatically expect those expectations to remain every year, especially if you're not a team that's been dynastic in its, its construction in recent years. So, you know... LSU lost a ton. We knew that they were going to be who they are. Auburn, you know, they lost some. And I, I think people banked way too much on Bo Nix. I really do. Like, he is... He, he's a perfectly mediocre quarterback. You know, he's a quarterback that... Ten years ago, the way football was played in the SEC could very well possibly have won an SEC title. But I think you're right that they do have to, you know, they've had to have the horseshoe up their backside to get to three and two. You know, you said they could be one and four. They could very well be 0 and five right now when you get down to it. I'm not impressed by this team in the least. They've... You know, at this point, they've allowed four more points through five games than they've scored. They've gotten a lot of benefit from being at home. You know, two of their three wins have been at home, but I think this is the first time, you know, that they do lose at Jordan-Hare. I, I think you're right that LSU covers that spread. They win outright. Um, you said 27-24. You know, I... I the way defenses have been in the SEC this year, I see it being slightly higher scoring, so maybe like a 38-34, but the result's the same in the end. Yes, yeah, I, I think that's probably fair. It'll be a, an interesting game for sure. So finishing up this week, we go over to the, to the Big 12, where we've got the last unbeaten team in the Big 12 as Oklahoma State, who... We can honestly say we saw coming because we both were high on the Cowboys in the preseason. And then demonstrably not back Texas heading to Stillwater to try to pull a, a semi-upset over the Cowboys and get right back in the thick of the Big 12 race. Do you think Texas can cover, I think it's about a three-and-a-half point spread this week, do you think Texas can go to Oklahoma State, not just cover, because covering that really is meaningless, for Tom Herman, but do you think the Longhorns can go to Boone Pickens and pull the upset? You know, I just want I, I want to talk about a three and a half point spread because 
frankly, in a lot of ways, you know, you look at the divergent fortunes of these two teams, especially with what Oklahoma State showed us defensively so far this year, and it feels like three and a half points to the, you know, in favor of the Cowboys in Stillwater is a slap in the face to that team. It, it this is this is one of those times when we look at weird spreads and we say, okay, what is Vegas seeing in Texas, um, or what do they think betters are seeing in Texas? Because they are giving way too favorable odds on an Oklahoma State team that, frankly, at this point, should have nobody by surprise. Um, especially any degenerate that's going to be gambling on college football in 2020. So, I, you know, I look at that and I, I start to get suspicious. Like, is this the game where Sam Ellinger throws six touchdown passes and wills the Longhorns to victory by sheer will of force? Honestly, you know, I picked Oklahoma State to lose against Iowa State last week. Obviously, that did not happen. But we talked about it last week. You know, it feels like the way the Big 12 is going, that their champion is not going to be undefeated. So, until further notice, the way I've been picking, I'm going to pick against Mike Gundy again. And I'm going to say that Ellinger has that six-touchdown standout, blow-your-mind performance that reminds us why people thought he could be a Heisman contender. And the Longhorns walk out of Stillwater with a 38-31 victory. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to disagree. So let's let's go with the week of disagreement this week. So that's good. Uh, I love this Oklahoma State team. I think they're really well balanced. They've got the best defense in the Big 12. And the defense has been winning them games while they've kind of been waiting for Spencer Sanders to get back healthy. And he's ready to go, it seems like, for this week. So having him back with Shuba Hubbard in the backfield, uh, with the wealth of options they have at receiver. Um, I really think this is the week that Oklahoma State makes their big statement. And I think the spread is just a result of Texas bias, I guess you could say, the big market, big school bias, where they always seem to get a few extra points uh, when it comes to these spreads, because I think Vegas knows that uh, betters are going to lean more towards schools like Texas just because of the name value of those schools. So that's what I see there. I'm wildly wrong sometimes on those, so I, I wouldn't take that money to the bank or anything if, for anybody listening. So, But I, I like this Cowboys team. I think they're well-balanced. I think they're dynamite defensively. They have a, an offense that has the potential to be really dynamic as well, and I think this game's going to come down to who can get a couple of stops, and I trust Oklahoma State's defense a hell of a lot more than I trust Texas's defense right now, and I think like you said, Oklahoma State's going to be a little bit pissed off that this game kind of feels like a pick in a lot of places because they're at home and only getting about three and a half points, so I think Oklahoma State comes out and makes their statement that they are not only a threat in the Big 12, but a potential college football playoff contender. I'll take Oklahoma State 45-31. Fair enough. I like this week. I'm glad we I'm glad we disagreed on a lot of things. I mean, hell, we disagree on what's the best, you know, Halloween candy, sour sour chocolatey, and we disagree on what is it, four out of our five picks this week. That's a good week. 
You know, the one thing we can't agree on is for people to stop sleeping on lime-flavored candy. Stop sleeping on lime-flavored candy and wear your damn masks. I think this is like... And, you know, I mean, given this is election season, you know, go vote, I guess. But, uh, you know, if I was ever going to run for public office, maybe that would be my uh, my campaign slogan. Don't sleep on lime candy and wear your damn mask. So, any final thoughts, John? No, I think that literally put it perfectly. I aim to please everybody, so... Come back next Wednesday when we try to aim to please some more. It's been a pleasure talking with everybody, and uh, have yourself a wonderful week.